Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Stefan Partolo. I am a co-host of the podcast along with Michael Cox and Courtney Hammond-Wagner. If you are new to the podcast, a very big welcome. And to all our regular supporters out there, thanks again for tuning in. You can now follow us on Instagram, at InCommonPod. On Instagram, we will be posting extra content and clips, so we hope you enjoy it. And you can also follow us on Twitter, at InCommonPod. We also have a Patreon page where if you're interested, you can donate to help support the maintenance cost for the podcast. If you're interested in supporting us with 50 cents or a dollar an episode, we welcome you to check out the link in our show notes or on our website. Today's Insight episode is from episode six, my interview with Sonia Gracie. Sonia is an assistant professor at the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada. She is also the director of the Hospitality and Tourism Research Institute. In the clip, Sonia discusses the current state of green and sustainable hotel certifications and some of the challenges in the sector. This is the In Common Podcast. What is the state of green hotel certifications around the world at the moment? It's terrible. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a, I feel like it's a bit of a losing battle. Um, And it's frustrating because... I don't think there has been a successful certification program. Um, Why do you think that is? Why? Because I think there's too many. So, you know, when we think about it from a marketing perspective as a consumer, well, one, there's, there's various elements, but one, as a consumer, you don't know which one's real and which one's not. So I remember, right, I wrote a book chapter several years ago, and at that point it was over a hundred and probably 120, 130. And that was, as I said, like, that was about seven years ago. So I haven't looked into what it is now. But, you know, the fact that you have over 100 and something different certifications for hotels worldwide is very confusing to the consumer. Um, Two, who are these certification bodies? Uh, It's different if it came from, you know, a very reputable uh, not for profit, or if it came from, um, you know, the UN, or if it came from, some organization that everyone trusts. Uh, I had high hopes for the global sustainable tourism criteria. I thought that, um, you know, something could have happened on with the GSTC. Uh, but you need to have one credible evaluation system. The second thing with certifications is it's really, well, one, I mean, paperwork wise, we're talking about an industry that has you know, the majority of small and medium sized businesses. It's not like the Accor hotels where they have a director of sustainability plus a VP of sustainability plus, plus, plus all these different green hotel, uh, green teams working within the hotels that are able to collect information. So when you have a small and medium sized organization that really needs to think about where the resources are going to be used, certification needs to be something that businesses want to implement because they feel that they are going to gain some rewards for it, whether it's financial or whether it's marketing or whether it's something. Um, but if you have so many to choose from, then really it just waters it down and, and people are not interested in that. Um, you know, I always loved Green Globe. I always thought Green Globe was a really good program when it was just certification. And then they ended up adding in a variety of different assessments. They had A for affiliation, B for benchmarking, and C for certification. Not to mention it was really expensive. So for a hotel, you know, to pay 15,000 US, for example, um, 
was pricey at the time for them to, to dedicate that. And what, what are they getting back from it? When the certification programs, certification programs that do not have third party verification, which is very expensive, which is why they have to charge those fees. The ones that are self certified or self assessed, they have no merit, right? Because a self assessed program, anybody can write anything that they want. There's no one coming in to, to, um, to verify that. So I think for all those reasons, um, you know, it, it just hasn't been successful at all. Uh, I think even, you know, when you saturate the market, it's not going to generally be successful. Uh, but I do believe in it. And I do think that you could potentially, it could be beneficial. I just think that there needs to be a number of parameters in place. And I also think with something like ISO 14001, for example, which has been successful, it's really only process oriented. It really doesn't look at the program approach. It doesn't look at, you know, you could have two hotels standing side by side, both ISO 14001, and one could be, you know, reducing their waste by 70% and one can be reducing waste by 5%, but they both follow the process. Uh, you know, they both uh, have continuous improvement and so they both can be certified. So you do need process and program um, as well. Yeah, what is the heterogeneity of the different criteria that are used within a lot of the kind of more popular or mainstream certifications? So heterogeneity amongst... What, yeah, the types of criteria that which can be certified within a hotel. Like what are actually the things that, that are being certified in a hotel? Well, I mean, if you're looking at it from um, the, you know, some of them are, are based on uh, do you have a particular plan in place? Um, you know, in terms of waste management, there are not very many that look at it from, um, you know, a percentage. And I guess also as well, when we think about the tourism industry, they're so completely varied. So to have one international program, um, to have them look at, you know, you can't really necessarily put a number um, that would fit one size fits all. So you can't really say, you know, everyone's going to have to reduce their waste by 50%, for example. Um, but a lot of it is, so a lot of it is focused on process. So a lot of it is just focused on plans and it's looking at, um, you know, um, you know, waste management, um, water, uh, energy efficiency. Um, a lot of the, you know, now there's some focus on food waste, there's focus on food, there's focus on climate change. Um, but, but generally it's the, the same facets when it, you look at it from an environmental perspective. Um, but I think also that that has to evolve as well because there is the social component that everyone is looking at. And if you look at what the bigger hotel chains are doing right now, like, like the Accor hotel chain, they are looking at people as well as one of their pillars and certifications need to also look at people as in communities, as in employees, um, as in, you know, um, as in guests, because that element is also just as important as the, you know, reducing waste and water and energy. Yeah, you mentioned that some of your work is more on the demand side, so more of the perceptions of, of consumers. Um, what do you find there? I mean, what do what is the consumer looking for? For could you is it easy enough to split them into people who generally were are willing to pay more for for hotels which are certified, and then those who aren't, and then of those who are willing to pay more, what are the types of criteria which they tend to focus on? Well, I've actually never done that particular study, but I think that that would be quite interesting. 
Um, what I looked at was more about uh, eco taxes and would people pay or voluntary funds. I, I don't know. There's something about a tax. No one likes that word. So we're not going to call it that anymore. But looking at it from a voluntary fund perspective. And this is something I've looked at for a very long time um, in various um Industries. You know, when I worked at the Ministry of the Environment, I worked with the Canadian Automobile Manufacturing um, Association and industry, and then we worked with the chemical, um, the Canadian, you know, the chemical producers, and we worked with dry cleaners. And so, um, there really needs to be some onus put on tourists, put on people. And so, I've looked at. Um, as a view, uh, you know, this idea of voluntary fund, you know, how much would people want to pay? I think that destinations are, I think now they're coming around. Like if you've seen, you know, in the last year, you got Venice and you, you have the New Zealand's putting in one and the Balearic Islands and Barcelona. And I feel like now everyone's kind of, but we need to do more. We need to put the onus not only on the companies, but we also need to put the onus on people. If people want to travel, cheap travel should not be existent as existent as it is now. So I'm much more interested in looking at uh, also not necessarily, I've done a particular study on people, but my recent research has really looked at all stakeholders, whether it's tourists or government or businesses, you know, local community, how people feel towards this idea of what would really be something that would be focused only on sustainability, right? Like, so it's not a tax. It's something that it's a fund that then you can, you know, implement waste management initiatives in small, small islands in developing countries. When you look at all your SIDS there, they lack the resources to implement things like waste management. Yet tourists are totally oblivious to that fact. And they go into these destinations and they don't really know, you know, like, where's their sewage going? Where's their waste going? And most times it's going back into the ocean that they're swimming in or, you know, affecting the fish that they want to see. So I'm very interested in seeing how mostly SIDS, how they would uh, a, adopt a voluntary fund. What would they put it towards? Um, and what are the different perceptions around it so we could actually get one implemented? You know, I think tourists really, they they're using the resources. They need to pay for them. Yeah. Is there a particular case example that you could give where you think they've done this fairly successfully? I would love to say yes, <laughs> but, um, but I fear, uh, no, because I fear that, you know, when you look at every case, I mean, when you look at what's happened in the Balearics, for example, you know, they stopped it. They started, they were doing this in 2002. Um, and they, they started up again recently, but they've stopped. And mostly because they get a lot of pressure. When you look at the Mayan Riviera, they tried to implement that recently. And they got a lot of pressure from the hotel industry and from the tour operators saying people didn't want to pay whatever it was. It was something minimal, like a dollar US. Um, so I, I find it quite, I don't think that there has been a successful, I'm quite interested to see. I think it needs to, there are many things that need to happen. And I'm interested to see um, New Zealand as an example, because, uh, their, ta their, you know, environmental fee is going to be collected when you come into the country. It's a significant amount. Um, you know, it's, 
it's centralized. So it's not just, and you know, you've had similar experiences in some of the SIDS where a lot of it may have been collected kind of on the side or there wasn't an actual structure in place um, from a policy perspective. And so I think that there needs to be uh, a, you know, strong, a strong leader that says, no, this is what's going to happen. And so I'm interested to see what, what would happen in New Zealand. Do you think those types of cases are going to be more successful? Those were more like national level top-down policies where they're saying, no, we're really going to invest in these types of funds and then find in, uh, some way of distributing that across the tourism sector? Or, you know, in the case of smaller islands, these self-organized efforts, um, which are maybe a bit more piecemeal than, as you said, they're trying different approaches and they might not be super efficient I mean, where do you see the success in the future coming from? Well, I'm all about bottom-up approaches, and I love bottom-up approaches. And, and if it's mostly because governments are slow, um, and uh, and they change their mind, right? So we had a really – we used to collect um, a fee in Niagara Falls, and it was uh, like a environmental fee with, through the hotels, and it was really successful. And then, you know, they, they got rid of it. They incorporated it into their destination management fund – um, fee that they charge. And so people don't really know where it goes anymore. So I don't know if it's necessarily better to have, like, I've always been a proponent of bottom up just because I feel like communities make better decisions. They make them quicker. They can implement things faster that, like you said, it may be piecemeal, but at least you know that this is where the money is going towards it's collected and it's done, right? They collect something, they fund something. Um, and, and I feel that they're very successful in that way. But I have seen a lot of this, you know, looking at these funds uh, generally not be successful afterwards, mostly because then perhaps then politics always plays a role. So I'm starting to think, and, and I, so I can't really answer that question because I want to see how it's going to play out. Because right now, I don't think either side has necessary. I think I think the bottom up approach has been very successful in the sense that a lot of things have, you know, we're able to get done. Um, but the, there's been political intervention. So I'm curious to see how that plays out in New Zealand, because it is a federal uh, initiative and not necessarily, you know, like a local government initiative. Um, so I'm curious to see. I just I, to be honest, I'm at that point right now in my research where I want to. I, I would. I want to study this further and and give it some time to see what's going to be successful and why things have actually have not been successful to date. To explore more episodes of the podcast as well as our blog, please visit our website www.incommonpodcast.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast on just about any podcast player. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram both at InCommonPod. You can also visit our Patreon page if you would like to support us, and the links to all these websites can be found in the show notes.